So I'm speaking with composer Ben Lovett. Uh, ben has created some amazing, uh, amazingly great scores and, and has built some notable collaborations early in his career with uh, composing films such as Last Goodbye, The Signal, My Super Psycho Sweet 16, uh, Synchronicity, The Reconstruction of William Zero, and currently The Ritual, uh, among many others, with filmmakers such as David Bruckner, uh, Dan Bush, and uh, Jacob uh, Gentry. Uh, for The Ritual, Ben reunites with director David Bruckner, who also directed The Signal. Uh, ben, thank you so much for uh, speaking today. My pleasure. So I'd, I'd love to uh, start kind of at the beginning and kind of know what was your kind of origin story and, and how did music find its way into your life and how did that translate into uh, a career in film composition? Uh, it was all a complete accident. <laughs> Those are the best. Um, well, at, at least specifically where film uh, composing is concerned. Um, I, I grew up in a really, uh, really rural part of Georgia and um, just kind of down in the middle of nowhere, right in the middle, kind of between the the E and the O, you know, <laughs> just in in the sticks, uh, a far, long away, far away from any kind of uh, exposure to to the modern world. And and it was a long time before um, I ever I was a teenager in high school before I ever kind of met like another kid who could play guitar and he could play you know punk rock riffs and stuff on his guitar and it was just like the coolest thing. And he was like, yeah, man you can do this. You just kind of put your hand like this and you can just pretty much do that anywhere. And, you know, I was like introduced to my first power chord and it was like, Oh, okay, well shit. If this guy can do it, you know, maybe I can do it. <laughs> and that was really the gym. I, you know, I didn't have like a formal training. I didn't really, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that where I came from. And right. I think it was discovering punk rock and that idea of like, you know, fuck it, just do it anyway. Yeah. Even though we don't know how to play, that's not going to stop us from putting on a good show. And that whole kind of mentality was kind of like an entry point. And um, so that's, that's where it started was just this idea that you kind of just have to pick up an instrument and, and make it do something. And, and then you just sort of figure out the rest as you go. Right. Um, then I got to college, and which was only very shortly thereafter. Uh, when I had only been learning to self-teach myself to play uh, the guitar and, and the p piano anytime I was ever near one, um, just kind of guided out of instinct and curiosity, um, that part of it hasn't really ever changed for me. Uh, but, th but I got to college, and I went to college in Athens, Georgia, and that was kind of a big game changer for me because it was the first time I really sort of met like-minded people and, and people who were a lot like me, that's where I met Jacob Gentry, that's where I ultimately met David Bruckner, who directed The Ritual, and at that time, um, I was kind of blowing my tuition money, buying recording equipment, and, and I was just fascinated with not just playing music, but how you recorded and produced music and created albums, and I think somewhere along the way, the, the studio process in instrument performance sort of fused into this hybrid discipline for me where I, I just kind of learned to, to play the studio, you mm -hmm. know, if you will. And um, um, somewhere along the way, I was introduced to a group of people who were, um, it, was a, it was like a collection of a bunch of kids from the drama department, you know, some kids from the journalism department. And these guys were all like 
you know, stealing wardrobe out of the theater department, you know, after hours. And the journalism students were like checking out the cameras and keeping them over the weekend. And <laughs> and, and like other students that were kind of collaborating to kind of exploit the resources of the university to, to make a movie. Right. And, you know, I was like this, just this kind of weirdo that was introduced to them. And I had all these toys. So they just sort of assumed that I knew what I was doing with them, <laughs> which was kind of the idea, really, you know. Especially back then, this was in the 90s, in the mid-90s, late 90s, uh, like 96, 7, 8, that kind of era. And it was still before, well before, you know, you could buy a laptop and make a pretty decent sounding recording demo. You know, it, right. that, that wasn't here yet. This wasn't that era. And um, so that's kind of what got me into it. I was introduced to these this crowd and they were, and they were like, you should do music for a movie. And I was you know, I said, I don't know anything about doing music for movies. And they were like, well, we don't know anything about making one, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and it was just an extension of that same kind of thing that originally got me into the, have the courage to pick up an instrument, which was don't let not knowing what you're doing stop you from trying. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's how it started. And, and I, I did it going into it fully knowing I had no clue what I was doing. Um, but felt safe in the environment of people that, you know, they weren't really swayed by that. Right. And honestly, man, I just haven't stopped. It's just kind of <laughs> just continued doing that. Uh, and I just sort of figure it out as I go. It's my, my process now is, is changed tremendously uh, by way of a lot of learning on the job. Uh, you know, I've been, that was 20 years ago and I haven't really stopped doing it. Wow. And so now it's, it's, but to me, it still feels more like gut instinct than applied academics. It's just, right. you just hone those instincts over time through doing, making stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm curious as to, I don't think I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of composers like yourself who've, who've kind of stumbled into that world and it's kind of taken over their career. Um, do you ever like face judgment or discrimination from like, the, the people who've been studying this since they were two years old and wanted to, you know, f compose music with the orchestra and stuff. Like, do you ever kind of feel like a fish out of water when you're in this industry, when you kind of come with your, the background that you have? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, I, I've, I've run into that in a couple of situations. Um, one is that um, in the studio, I've often had to dismiss players from sessions who are very rigid mm. in their training. And I think it's like, I tend to have, I, I tend to work really well with players. And what, what I mean is, you know, you know, I write parts for instruments I don't know how to play. Right. And so occasionally, you know, we run into things we need to fix on the fly or I run in the room waving my arms around wildly and going, oh, wait, wait. okay, right here at the end. Instead of going, da, 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 let's go, da, 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 da. Or, you know, and I kind of improvise some stuff on the spot. And I, I enjoy working with players that, that enjoy the challenge of that and uh, can pick up their pencils and make notations. And we can sort of workshop it so that it's a, a conversation that goes on back and forth between myself and the musicians. Uh, I've definitely run into situations where um, you, you get musicians that aren't very compatible with that process. And they're... Wow. They're very kind of stuffy and, and they want their experience has always been they were taught you play it exactly the way it's on the page. And, you know, if you go if you give them something like, 
Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna keep rolling for another like sixteen bars after the end of this. Just kind of feel, just kind of run off the edge of the page with it. Just like everybody, just sort of do your own thing off the end of this for the last sixteen bars. Let's just see what happens. And some people just really throw a fit because they just don't know what to do. Right. That's just not what they were taught to do. And I understand that and I get it. So I've run into people from that where they just don't, in they don't like being put in a situation where they're uncomfortable because that's not how they, that's not the relationship they have with the process or with their instrument. Right. Um, sure. Maybe a little more to your point. Um, I have only, I've never really personally picked up on any direct discrimination or, or kind of judgment about that necessarily. I don't know if it may exist. There's always people that are going to, they're going to hate on you and throw shades for one. For sure. Yeah. And I think that what I have encountered is that, um, and it is not exclusive to classical trained musicians. I think it's exclusive to, uh, sorry, I, say, I think it's a, it's a more common problem with anybody who's dedicated a very large chunk of their time to studying and training and practicing for years and years and years, especially if they started young. And it's this toxic idea that you deserve something as a reward for all of that time that you put into it. Right. And that there is like, that you should have had your chance and that when someone like me stumbles into it and it's, it just consistently does it for 20 years, it's not fair. Right. But to that, I'm, I would say, well, who told you it was going to be fair? And, <laughs> and I mean, of course it's not that. Um, it's life, you know, and sure. for that, I think that it's very frustrating. It's very difficult for, for people who feel like, um, they know more, they would, they are better equipped to do the job of someone with a lesser sort of foundation in the, the music theory or something. Whereas really, once you get into doing this for a career, you realize how very little that actually has to do with it. Absolutely. Like it's there to it, it. It will help you certainly, but it is a one of many factors that you need to be able to kind of juggle. Uh, that are really in the, in the thirty thousand foot view of it all, kind of all in equal measure. Um, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of the parts that you might examine of what makes a successful artist like career in the arts, where you go. Um, man, it's amazing how much time uh, making music for a living uh, is isn't like it's amazing how sp small of a piece of the pie that actually is to having a career of making music for a living. Right. Like the part where I'm actually making the music is actually a pretty small part of all <laughs> the different things you have to be able to manage. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, but it, it's a thing. I mean, I think it probably lingers around in the in the back of anyone's mind who's kind of a self-taught musician. And I think for a while, at least in my own experience, it sort of lingers as an insecurity because you know, you're going to constantly run up against things that you don't quite understand or have the, the keys to unlock. Right. But I've learned that, um, I enjoy collaborating and, um, it's not an ego thing for me. And so when I get into areas where I, where I need help, like say translating the specific thing that I hear in my head. And then I can show you, these are the notes, but I want them to sound like this. 
can you, uh, you know, people whose entire jobs are to do that, like copyists and arrangers, and you say, can you help me get this idea on the page so that that player knows how to play it so it's what I'm trying to accomplish? I have no problem with that. It yeah. doesn't hurt my ego at all. For sure. You know, that's what those people are there to do. Right, absolutely. Um, so kind of uh, looking at uh, some your style and approach, uh, let's... let's uh, We'll talk about the ritual coming up, but you know you've done a couple films in the kind of horror genre, horror subgenres. Um, in your opinion, uh, and since the ritual is kind of a horror film, in your opinion, what makes a good horror score? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know because I haven't listened to them many years. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I tell you, I can tell you what. I guess it's the same as what makes a good any score, and it's just does it service the story? You know, does it communicate the emotions of the characters? Uh, does it bring another element into the experience of the film? There, there is a, a, a an approach to film scoring uh, that I have seen in a lot of horror films, and I've seen them in other films in a lot of genres where it's treated more like uh, sort of a coat of paint on the walls mm -hmm. like it's just kind of there to sort of like it's the it's the mortar between the bricks or whatever and it's just really you know it's just kind of there because it has to be right and, and or it's there to band-aid things that don't quite work um i've seen a lot of i've seen score and music used in movies in a lot of ways to kind of in these other areas where they're problem solvers and they're kind of used to fix things um, I think a good one generally can achieve that without that being its actual goal or application or intention. And I think it's probably a real challenge but a real victory if you can ever take a score from a, a horror film and be able to listen to it out of context in the movie and enjoy it. Yeah, without sure. being like a complete sadist, masochist, you know, and you just enjoy <laughs> freaking yourself out. Um, and, and while, um, that was, I, I do think that there's a lot of elements, a lot of sections of this score where you can do that. It, it was never like, I, I never went into this or any other thinking about that and trying to sort of, uh, kind of keep that in mind or navigate it so that it could be its own work outside the film while making it simply because you're kind of putting the cart before the horse. You're trying to serve two masters. It really, nothing else matters, but if you're servicing the story, um, I just think it's a nice, uh, accidental victory. If maybe you can put it on after the fact and, and still enjoy it and kind of go back into the, the circumstances that the characters find themselves. You can kind of go through the emotions of the story, um, without necessarily having to chronologically watch them in order of the film. Absolutely. Um, so let's 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 jump into the ritual and like kind of talk about cool. that, that film and what was the approach you had for this this particular film and what were kind of the initial conversations um, that you had with David kind of beforehand and and what was in your mind what was the goal for the music to, what was the goal that you wanted for the music to accomplish? Well, I, I felt like you know um, very early on we knew that um, like a primary objective would be to establish the presence of, of something else out there with mm -hmm. the characters. Uh, well, before you ever see it, you should have a sense that it's there. 
um, that that feeling of a lurking menace uh, that, uh, that's the um, sort of the eventual obstacle that that will intersect this whole adventure. Um, and uh, so we we knew very early on there needed we needed to establish that early uh, for the movie to work, just because you know crew members shaking tree limbs off camera can only get you so far. Right. You know, <laughs> and the, the the thing, you know, there's a limited amount of screen time that you can afford to have the thing on screen. So we needed to get the thing in the movie a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the, the goals of the score. And there's a whole sort of what Bruckner and I refer to as the stalker theme. And there's a whole kind of thread and a, and a sound and a theme to, um, you know, there is this other presence out there and, and the mystery of what 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 is that thing. Um, uh, secondly, the other goal, I think going in was knowing how important the character of Robert, uh, is, who is the guy who dies in the first few minutes that right. kind of sets up the whole reason that they go on this trip, uh, to kind of like, you know, we meet him, he's kind of there and gone really quickly early, but he's so important in, um, his removal from the group you know, kind of throws off the balance of this group of friends. And, and then it starts to show when those, when everybody's put through the, the stress of the situation. And, um, the, he's kind of the white elephant that, 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 that no one wants to talk about what happened. And, and Luke's possible role in the responsibility of that. So I wanted to keep his death with them in the forest um, and kind of have that, slowly start to become entangled with the motif of, of the, the other thing and what's out there. And then until you finally start to realize that at least in their relationship to, to the main character, that they're both emotions that stem from the same part of him. Right. So, you know, on one hand it's this unholy nightmare creature in the woods. And on the other hand, it's a big metaphor for what he's going through, uh, you know, questioning, um, this idea of uh, what level of responsibility he has to what happened to his friend. Absolutely. And uh, for, for the film, how, how important was it when you guys were spotting it is to, I guess, determine, I mean, because I think the biggest part of a horror score, not just a horror score, but any score is knowing when a composer needs to know when they need to shut up and the, and the, the music needs to kind of pull back. That's right. Um, so I'm sure in, in horror, especially silence is such a huge part of building tension and suspense and having to work with the edit. Um, when you were going through that process of spotting the film, I mean, what determines a scene that, like, okay, we don't need score here, or we need score here? I mean, is it as simple as just, are the scenes kind of constructed knowing that there won't be score here, or do you kind of be like, oh, we could insert something here and make it better? We, we there was a lot of, like, trying, I mean, trying that, like, pulling things in and out. I, I, it's funny, I find myself arguing to take things out a lot more than, than put them in, mm-hmm. um, because I do believe in the power of of, 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 you know, sometimes the best cue is, is not one at all. Right. And, uh, there's, especially when you're talking about tension and suspense, you know, the, the, the relationship between when the music is there and when it is not there is extremely important in, in sustaining that suspense. Uh, you can't really completely do one or the other and have it work. It's all about where they hand the ball off to one another and so there's there's certain scenes now that I really am satisfied with that I that I like watching, especially in, a, in like this weekend at TIFF in a, in a packed theater where we just 
decided like let's pull it out here right. and like let's let's let this you know it's just the guy and the flashlight and the dark woods and the sound design of something moving around and him try you know don't need it like at that particular point in the movie sandwiched between two bigger cues where we really need to kind of help the momentum of what's happening it's so much better without it because it's like we get it we know yeah <laughs> and uh going through it there was there was um you know i i've i run into this a lot where uh, a director and an editor you know have spent they're they're spending so much time in each individual little tiny pocket of the movie trying to get it to work you know and so they'll be focused in on a specific reel or a specific area or scene and just working on that for so long that ultimately a lot of times uh, music gets tempt in or thrown in right because they're just trying to find some glue to see if it's going to work and then you kind of wind up with a music that's just kind of tempt to death from top to bottom with a lot of stuff and they're it's all over the place and um there's you know the the flow is rough between scenes and um, you just kind of get what feels like a bunch of scenes with like really deliberate beginnings and ends and yeah. it, there's the flow is interrupted so so part of that process of spotting is usually trying to find areas where well i think this and this are really all one cue right here like this is all like we've got like three different pieces of music here that the editors put in but really i think all of this is an is, and and i think it's usually like a really helpful stage for them because they don't have fresh perspective on it anymore and anytime you can and then I get to a point where I don't have that either. And so anytime you can kind of put a fresh eye or a fresh ear on it and go, well, what if this, what, do we really need a cue right here? And then it's, it's just sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, we, we <laughs> cut that three weeks ago. We haven't even thought about it since then, but yeah, we don't need music there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's the whole process. It's, it's, it's just so much into, like, intuition and feeling things out. And yeah, I think in the end, I guess you're just going with your gut instinct of what, feels it's instinct yeah yeah it's instinct and then a lot of times it's um it's then like um litigation you know then it's then it's like (laughs) then you have to sort of like argue you have to kind of checkmate the other arguments in the room for why a thing should or shouldn't be there and if it's (laughs) like if you can get to the other side of the board and no one can counter that it's like all right okay pull it out try it out or (laughs) Or if it's a, I think we need something right here type of note, then the other way you got to argue your way into it. Right. And you kind of have to like defeat the room <laughs> of opinions in order to get it in. Yeah, it's part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You, uh, like but, I, but, I, but I believe in that. It's like you got to know why. Like, I really feel like, you know, if you're going to say like we should cut, I, I think we should cut that bit of dialogue even though that's not my job to suggest that or, right, right. or like, or whatever that you kind of need to be able to back up that with a reason why, or if you don't like a thing, you should have a suggestion of what maybe would be better because otherwise that information is not really that helpful. Yeah. Especially when you're speaking up out of your, your provided role, <laughs> which I can't help but do sometimes. It's like, ah, this seems a little long. I don't know. Maybe we should cut this last part of it. <laughs> Yeah, you know? and Absolutely, they're like, "Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really, composer?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so I feel like I, you know, but I'm so deep in it yeah. when I'm doing this stuff. I mean, it just—I know every little nuance of every performance of the actors and the writing and everything because I'm just watching it. 
over and over and over and over. And, you know, you're, you're kind of like the, the dialogue is your vocal, you know, if, if it's a song, it's kind of to compare it that way. And you're trying to really get into the rhythm of how the scenes cut and kind of find what's the tempo of the scene and, and how that translates to, to a piece of music you might write. And it gets really tricky in movies like this where you've got action and suspense and horror and you've got to hit frame specific events while operating within a tempo, but to a picture that's not necessarily cut to one. Yeah. For sure. uh, so, you know, it's a, that sometimes you, you, you got to try to fight and argue to like, yeah, I just could have like five more frames before you <laughs> go to this thing right here. It would make my life so much easier. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so to kind of wrap up, you know, looking back at your career now, starting with your journey back with movies like Last Goodbye and The Signal and now with The Ritual, um, are there any important lessons or kind of tips you've learned, picked up along the way that you wish you could have told yourself back then that you wish you knew back then? Um, story is the most, is the, is story is the most important thing. I mean, all of it, all the things you may want to accomplish or do, uh, or, or, or set out to do it, all of it at the end of the day has to service trying to communicate the story and make sure the story's clear and that you're there to, um, you're there to tell the director's story. You know, you're, you're, even if you disagree or, or if you think of or have other ideas of maybe how you would want to go with a specific scene, your job is to help them tell the story. That's their job. And your job is to support them and to, and to help them. Um, and I don't know that if it's necessarily like a lesson where I felt like I did the opposite of that or something and learned right. it. I, I think yeah. it's just something I've learned over time um, that informs me now and, and, and probably only would have helped clarify things uh, early on. Um, I've also learned uh, probably in a more practical way is that um, I've never solved a problem that I was having about what to do or how to change a thing or how to get over a particular hurdle or approach a certain scene. Or if I had to revise something per a note, like how to now take a different perspective on the scene than I originally had, if they want something different, I've never figured, I've never solved any of those problems like biting my nails and pacing around the room and going for a walk or, or whatever, I do all those things, and all those things are part of that process, but I've never actually figured out the answer any other way than putting my hands on the instruments, putting my hand on the mouse, touching the buttons, just, you, you figure it out by just tinkering around with it and continuing to do it. Um, so, I guess it's just to say, like, you just have to keep chipping away. You just have to kind of keep the hammer and the spike and just keep, keep hitting the wall with it. Eventually you'll get, eventually it'll crack. But I've, 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 I only actually find my way through those things when I just sort of stumble through them. It, it's like if you're kind of feeling your way around in the dark, sometimes, sometimes you may not realize that you found the exit until you're 10 feet through it. Right. And you kind of go, Oh, Oh, Okay. Oh shit! Yeah, this is great. Okay, this works. And you, and it's like, oh, okay, that well, that's all I have to do. Uh, and that happens a lot. 
It really does. Another thing that be helpful for other people is don't fret if you write something for a scene and they're kind of like, nah, yeah, it's okay. We'd love to hear something else. Because in every single movie I've done, I've wound up writing something for a specific scene that wound up working even better in another one. And it's this weird, it's this weird thing that always this is consistently true. Uh, and I don't know why, but when you, it's just somewhere in the process that always tends to happen. Wow. So keep yeah. it around. You might, <laughs> you might be able to lob it and it just kind of lands on its feet in another scene. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, Ben, I wanted to thank you so much uh, for chatting today. And, you know, I've been listening to your music since you started and it's been such a pleasure to experience your work and, and, and kind of, always anticipating the next thing that comes down the pipe and uh it was just so great to uh, cool, pick, pick your brain for a little bit i really appreciate it thank you yeah i appreciate that that's awesome